All right. Hello and welcome to Realcom's third installment in our three-part corporate real estate series. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your Realcom host for today's webinar, What Workplace Experiences Make the Commute Into the Office Worth It? Thank you for tuning into the live session or viewing this as a recording. Our panel will explore multiple return to work strategies. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. Thank you to all of our live attendees again. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. We'll try to get to all the questions, but if we don't get them answered during the webinar, we'll follow up with you once the event has concluded. You'll find presentations from the previous two sessions in the series along with this entire presentation and our presenters' bios in the handout section of your GoToWebinar control panel. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. Don't listen to Luther, Five, and Victor on Umbrella Academy. You'll learn a lot more from our panel here at Realcom Academy. If you are experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, or video quality, the best thing to do is disconnect and click on the webinar link again and come back in. You can also email ian at i-t-h-o-m-p-s-o-n at realcom.com for help during the event. But don't worry, if you miss something, just wait for the email with a link to the webinar recording that you'll get later today. This educational webinar is supported by our outstanding sponsors, FM Systems, their all-in-one workplace management platform helps wor the world's largest organizations access, manage, and measure every aspect of their real estate portfolio. Kimberly Clark is committed to innovative products that and practices that serve your business's ever-changing needs, empower your people, and help navigate change. TouchSource, they're smart places for active spaces, or I could say that better, smart spaces for active places. Simple digital signage for every building communications need. They add value to your property without adding more to your to-do list. And VergeSense, their spatial intelligence platform provides a true understanding of your spaces so you can optimize for cost savings and employee experience with confidence. We are grateful for all the contributions by these vendors to our industry, to Realcom, and to helping us educate our viewers in sessions like these. If you're ready to evaluate your workplace environments, capture and analyze data you've been ignoring, uh, leveraging digital signage and optimizing cost savings, I do recommend including these companies as part of your vendor evaluation process. And finally, our moderator is Lawrence Melton. He's a CEO at Building People. Welcome, Lawrence. Thank you, Chuck. Good to be here. Thank you. Great, you have a great group of panelists today, so let's get started. I'll just turn it over to you, thank you. Fantastic, hey, Chuck, it's great to be here, and thanks to Realcom uh, eLearning for uh, the event today. Uh, we do have a great panel, um, and I will tell you that uh, there's an underlying theme here, obviously, not just in a post-COVID environment, but uh, we're gonna hear, obviously, as Chuck mentioned, around technology, uh, people, and certainly around the buildings and workplace environment, and there's a lot to talk about. Um, so I'm excited uh, to, get, to get started. And I will tell you that um, in the theme of people, uh, which there's an underlying end user here, right? Uh, it's all about creating and enriching workplace experiences. And 
as you as you see the recurring theme here, there's the technology, there's this data, and there's the gathering of the data to turn it into what we always call propagating new norms, changing human behavior and human-centered design for optimum results, right? Um, it, back in the day, we always joked that the one who died with the most space doesn't win. Today, it's the organization with the most optimized workplace and workforce is actually going to win. So how do we get there? And uh, I think today, as we talked about human-centered design uh, and balancing the complexities of human behavior and space requirements, how do we balance the, com the, the complex needs of both the organizational strategy of portfolio versus the organizational strategy of humans, right? So you're going to get a good balance today with our guest speakers, um, and I will um, gladly be able to take some questions at the end. Um, we have a packed agenda and a great group of experts. So um, before we get started even further, let's talk a little bit about, whoops, small delay there in the slide. Bear with me, Reverend. There we go. So as we talk about innovative workplace solutions, obviously we're looking to, as I mentioned, maximize the portfolio uh, through capital budgets, assess, taking the assessment, the data, and what do we do? We transform the data and turn it into informed, tangible decisions. How do we build those models? Um, now, today, it's uh, not just about um, the workforce, but how do you engage? Uh, you're gonna hear that theme throughout the presentations of our guest panels. You're gonna hear the word engage, a uh, big theme here. And then how do you take AI data and the systems related to it and evaluate it for metrics and performance metrics? We're gonna see some examples of what we're seeing leading the industry from some of our guests. Um, so let's get started. Our first um, speaker, Sarah. Welcome, Sarah. How are you? Hi. Nice. Thanks for inviting me, Larry. It's great to be here. Good to see you again, Sarah. Well, we'll jump right in in the essence of time. Um, just to reframe where we started today, the question that is on everyone's mind is what will make the commute worth it? And I wanted to share a couple of ideas that we've been hearing and we've been seeing some of our clients explore, but ultimately what we're really seeing is that we're in an age of experimentation. We're recognizing that clients are piloting, they're learning from those pilots, and what we're really seeing is that one size does not fit all. Um, see, one second, looks like I'm having that same delay. There we go. So today I wanted to share a collection of ideas that we've seen our clients exploring. They're kind of outlined here. Uh, there's five primary drivers that break down into more specific areas of study and interest, um, and we'll take a closer look at those as we go through the presentation today. So the first one is purpose-driven spaces. And what this really means is that one size does not fit all. We really need to make sure that our spaces are working for our employees. Not everyone works the same and not everyone is returning to the office for the same reason. So going forward, creating curated and thoughtful, meaningful environments that support employees and how they want to work when they want to work is going to be critical. The additional thing that we need to be thinking about is that the single use space is a thing of the past. Really adopting a mixed use mindset where spaces can flex 
and evolve over time, not only from day to day, but even over the course of a month or a year as we start to learn how employees are engaging with space again is going to be crucial to maximize our real estate footprint. And lastly, we really wanna make sure that we're creating spaces that inspire. Um, what we've recognized is that work must be a destination. It's no longer an obligation because we are in a hybrid world and our employees have an opportunity for choice in when and where they work. So going forward, we really wanna create spaces that inspire joy um, and experiences that create a draw back into the office. Another theme that we're seeing is that spaces must be intuitively inclusive. Um, this means that we're designing for everyone. The arrival of a new generation to the workforce coupled with some larger social justice um, events that have occurred in the past couple years brings new values and heightened expectations on what it means to be inclusive within the workplace. Thinking about celebrating neurodiversity, pushing beyond what we've designed for in the past, which is just our standard accessibility um, codes, and really starting to think outside of the box um, to find ways that we can remove ambient belonging and make sure that everyone is um, create, feeling at home within the office. The third theme that we're seeing is that hospitality is really something that must come first. Again, we're talking about creating a destination and creating connection with a, a company culture. So creating a space that allows individuals to have shared experiences and create memories together is going to be key. Thinking about that employee and what their journey into the office is and what their journey home from the office is, is just as critical as what their experience is while they're in the office as well. And part of that is going to be integrating technology into the workplace with intention, making sure it's frictionless and seamless and removing barriers is going to be key for getting individuals to come back to the workplace. Lastly, bold, our, third, our fourth topic today is boldly resilient. So thinking beyond the green wall, thinking past some of our sustainability strategies that we've used in the past, really making sure that we're creating spaces that promote well-being and allow employees to rejuvenate. And that sometimes means shaking up the status quo. So thinking in new ways, of how we can create an environmentally conscious uh, workplace. And that could be anything from all electric buildings to committing to using no virgin wood on projects, or simply just doing a little bit less and thinking about making use of spaces that already exist and things that are already in the workplace and repurposing them for new, new functions. And lastly, what we're seeing is that the workplace really must become a community catalyst. So investing in our communities and listening to our employees is gonna be critical to make sure that we are allowing for connection to happen. I think that's something that we all know we've been missing over the last couple of years. So thinking back to that idea of how do we create a workplace that's a destination and allows employees to come together to linger and to gather in a comfortable way. 
And that really expands beyond just the office, thinking about the employee's whole life. As I mentioned earlier, their commute into the office, their experience leaving the office, um, being able to think about that holistic experience of what the employee is going through on the day to day is what we're seeing is very critical moving forward. It's no longer about the space that they exist within from nine to five, but it's also thinking about those times before and after to make sure that we are creating um, an experience that's holistic uh, and supports them both as an employee and in their personal life as well. So thank you very much for uh, allowing me to speak today. Larry, I wanted to open it up maybe for a quick Q&A. Yeah, Sarah, that was great. Thank you. You know, Sarah, I love your phrase, investing in our communities of our people. Uh, and earlier, there is no one size fits all. And in Gensler, this is what you all do for a living. I'm curious how much in, in the space planning and designers in Gensler, how much are you spending with the HR organizations now getting that requirement development piece? Probably a lot, right? Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. One of the biggest shifts that we've seen is that the workplace and real estate group has actually now been relocated um, under the HR function in many companies. So a lot of the programming and the visioning sessions that we're doing are not only with that real estate and workplace component, but it is engaging the HR team because so much of a so much of the return to work conversation is not only centered around what do we do with space, but what are the policies that are going to support how we use that space going forward and how frequently we use that space going forward. Yeah, great point. That, yeah, we've talked about it for decades in this industry, right? Organizational alignment is the key. And sometimes mm -hmm. it, it seems like so most organizations have come late to the uh, late adopters, right? Uh, embracing the HR organization. That's the world you guys are living in now. So. Yeah, great point, Sarah. Really good presentation. Thanks for covering that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's uh, let's transition um, on building the hybrid workplace uh, to Mark Miller. Uh, how you doing, Mark? Hey, Larry. Good to see you, thanks uh, good thanks to see you. for having me. Appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I this is, I think, a great segue around uh, thinking about uh, let me see if I can get my slides going. Um, this notion of of driving new experiences in the workplace and and Sarah's colleagues sort of helped us on a project that I'm going to talk about today. Uh, the, really, the first office that we've opened up at Cisco post pandemic, the first office that we've actually designed in the spirit of this notion of hybrid work. Um, a little bit about Cisco, a big technology company, 68,000 employees, our real estate portfolio. Uh, about 18 million square feet of, uh, of property spread over about 380 buildings um, and uh, about in a little over 80 countries, uh, representing about a billion dollars a year that we spend every year uh, to keep the lights on. And the reality is, like all of you out there that are, are faced with the same challenge, we're sort of rethinking our real estate strategy now. This notion of real estate or, or office space for a purpose is, is really, really important to us. Um, this project that we undertook in New York, which I was really deeply involved with Sarah's colleagues on at Gensler, really the old office, we had been in here for about 15 years. We had no idea what we were gonna do with this space. There was always a reason we were thinking about moving elsewhere. Uh, but you know, before the pandemic, we made the decision that we really wanted to be in the space we were in. We just knew we needed to do something different. We commonly call this, this office a land of despair and misery. 
Uh, I think you can take some of these photos and understand why. Uh, the, the project itself, really, we look to embrace many of those things that Sarah talked about, right? This notion of rebalancing space and this idea of, of thinking about sustainability and health and wellness. The two things that I think we brought to the table here, though, is the thing that we really needed to do uh, from a Cisco perspective was to really think about ways of digitizing a real estate platform. Uh, the reality is with all that real estate, the only thing we were really using to, to really help measure uh, occupancy were some of the basic sensing capabilities that were on the market and some badging data. And, and that was important to understand uh, how the space is being used. But more importantly, as we all know, we needed to start to think about delivering new capabilities within our workplace environments to drive employee satisfaction and, and engagement. And, and as we've talked before about reducing that workplace friction. The really interesting thing at Cisco I'll share with you is our hybrid work policy at a corporate level is to not have a policy. We don't have a policy. We leave it up to individual teams to decide uh, when and, and how often they wanna come in, into, the, into our work environments. And with that, obviously we need to be, build really engaging workplace environments that draw people back in. And that's especially important here in the Americas. We were out of the office for 750 days. Um, and, and over that time, behavior sat in that we really needed to really up our game. As we talked about in this project, we realized the workplace needed to work a lot harder to earn the trust and, trust and respect of employees again. So when we think about those things, right, we, we go back to the, the tenets of technology and pushing technology first in our design. Um, and, and really we thought about technology in three ways, that we needed to make the workplace more informative. We needed to keep our employees more informed about the activities that were going on and, and informed around how the conditions of the environment to help them make better decisions. The second is we needed to make obviously the workplace more intelligent, that notion of making it safe and frictionless. And lastly, we needed to make the workplace more collaborative. The reality is that we know our people will come to the office not to do heads down work. They're gonna come to the office to collaborate, learn and socialize. And much of the space that we build now is around those activities. In fact, that a typical equation in the old traditional offices of 70% of individual space and 30% collaborative, absolutely, absolutely opposite in all of our workplaces. This is moving forward here at Cisco. We're reorienting spaces accordingly. But that notion of keeping people informed, right? We think digital signage plays a really critical role to keep people educated. Um, we are marketing the office to our employees. Here in New York, there are 1,700 people in Cisco, that, in the tri-state area, that call this office their home. That doesn't mean 1,700 people are gonna come here every day. It just means that they're gonna come when it's, when it's valuable. Being able to push that content and push those uh, uh, events out to them on a mobile device at the same time marketing inside is really important. The second is giving them information when they come in on how to use the space. Right, and, and these are really common applications now, but embracing these much more uh, actively now as a company. Um, when they get into a space, making sure that that's a really engaging space. We're doing a lot with smart building technology right now, realizing that all of our employees want touchless experience. How do I make every experience voice activated? Um, and, and really making sure you have a, a tremendous experience no matter what space you are, even if you get into this notion of hot desking. We went from 150 assigned desks to 50 hot desks, making sure that was truly frictionless when our employees come in, drop their phone on a desk, have it automatically log in, you know, 
make it really personalized. Um, and then on the collaboration side, making sure that we're delivering collaborative experiences that people can't get at home, whether it's even at the really high-end immersive experiences that, that we know people will make that trip for, or right down to very, very traditional collaboration spaces, just making sure we optimize how we build these environments. Building also non-traditional environments, our most, actually our most requested space in our office right now, specifically designed for team building events. And, and lastly, extending that to small group collaboration. Pre-pandemic, even pre-pandemic, the average meeting at Cisco, 3.7 people in a room and two people remote. So all the new space that we design when we're building all our new projects out is all really four person or less. And in different modalities, whether it's traditional or, or innovation spaces or, or open plan or casual, really making sure we're giving people a sample of that. When we think about this also, we realize that collaboration is not a single activity. People come to collaborate, to share information, make decisions, team building and brainstorming. We designed our space around the outcomes, starting with technology first, then working backwards into furnishings and interiors and then space design, creating a set of space standards that we're rolling out across the globe right now. So, and then help also helping understand how we uh, balance the use of space that all of our ad hoc spaces are ad, uh, I'm sorry, all of our spaces that are by person and under are ad hoc. We understood that even before the pandemic, our uh, ad hoc spaces were twice as efficient as our bookable spaces. So we had a very strong desire to make sure we push that out to, to optimize the efficiency of how we we're building space. The reality is we did not do this alone, right? This was not a facilities exercise. This was not a, an HR exercise. It was not a technology exercise. It was all teams coming together. I think that is, is obviously, as we've all talked about, the secret of success here is bringing all teams together and driving to a, to a single outcome. So Larry, I'm gonna turn it back to you. Yeah, thanks, Mark. You know, Mark, um... As a director in the Center of Excellence at Cisco, you know everyone knows Cisco, right? You are a massive technology firm, and you talked about a couple of things. Obviously, you were a strategic leader, and you also talked about a lot of adoption of technologies in the organization, right? Sarah talked about you know the workplace design, the designing the space around the human element, including HR. You've got this massive technology influx. That's what you do. That's what you guys are good at. So you know, and then you mentioned smart buildings. We also know smart buildings you know, doesn't automatically mean the building is smart. It takes human adoption to those technologies, just like anything to make them great, right? So in your world, you know, you're pushing a lot of technology, you're pushing a lot of innovation, um, you've talked about it, but can you talk about how are you guys addressing actually technology adoption in the new environment uh, today? Yeah, it's, it's really, it's a great question. Look, as a technology company, we have no problem rolling technology out. That is the least of our problems. We can get it out. Consumption of technology is mm. the big, right? We, as I said, we were out 750 days. Larry, in that time, we have roughly a eight or 9% turnover rate like everybody does. That means 20% of the people that came back to this building had never seen, had never been at a Cisco office before, never seen any of this stuff. And arguably the other 80% probably forgotten everything they learned. So focusing on truly building a huge adoption program around, you know, contextual videos when you walk into a space on how to use it, providing other training materials and um, to, to make sure people are up to speed on how to use 
I'm not saying all the features, I'm looking for the 80% that they use every day. And then one thing that we did in every one of our spaces, a, what I call the help me, I've fallen and I can't get up button. It's a button that they can push at any time if they get in trouble. And we'll have a team of people who will come and help them. What we're finding is most of our technology problems weren't problems, they were adoption and education issues. That's a rich source of data to help us understand how in the next environments we need to do uh, structure our education programs. So think about technology adoption is not just something you do for the first three months you have a space open. It is continual, right? You know, Mark, and if I can squeeze one more question in is, uh, obviously you went back to the workplace, you've been trying to figure it out, you're an end user, as you're trying to push strategy, as you built your, as you think about your new office individually, was there anything you think you missed that you would have done differently for yourself? Yeah, I'm going to tell you right out of the gate, there's so much technology in this space that one thing we didn't think about was, you know, the, the typical model is you roll a building out, and you're done, and then you deal with capital improvements, you know, with the five-year mark and the 10-year mark for a building. Technology has a different recycle rate, right? You have a refresh rate. Whatever we saved, and we shut nine buildings down in the, the area in the region here to, to sort of fund the development of this, you know, uh, hub that we have, we call it a talent collaboration center. Um, what we needed to do is we needed to accrue money for post opening mm. refresh. And I don't think people think about that right now. You know, when you have a dozen rooms and you, you need to refresh a dozen collaboration endpoints, that's fine. We have 90 video enabled spaces, right? So yeah. you, you, people start to think about the long-term view of how we're going to maintain these sites, not only operationally, but fiscally. Yeah. Uh, great point, Mark. Great conversation. I appreciate that. So uh, at this point, uh, we can't do these without our sponsors. So let me turn it over to Realcom uh, for a quick uh, moment of our sponsors. BirdSense is a platform that allows us to digitize the built world for the very first time. Workspaces are undergoing a huge transformation right now. The main thing they need to make that transformation is more data. And our platform has everything you need to do that. It starts with AI sensors that are installed in the ceiling. And these actually measure how the office is being used in real time. That data goes into an insights platform that then analyzes the information and provides data in order for workplace decision makers to decide how to improve the space. One capability that is totally unique to BirdSense is signs of life. When you talk with companies and they look at their utilization, they focus on two elements. One is counting people, but two is understanding passive occupancy. Until signs of life, that was impossible. Brad, good to hear you. Hey, Larry. Good. Hey, I want to ask you something real quick. What is that sign behind you? What is that? Dreams, Dreams don't, work. don't work unless you do. Oh, man, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's right. Um, spoken from a true entrepreneur, right? Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and Brad, you talk about dreams. Uh, no better title. You're a customer success manager of Sense. So you, we heard from Sarah, who's building this space, working with HR, making people happy, right? And And yeah. Somehow has to through osmosis has to make it happen. Brad's pushing this technology out there into the workplace to make sure that people have optimal results. And then there's there's Brad who has to make it all come together and work through some sort of human-centered design aspect and uh, no pressure, but 
this is what you do for a living. So Brad, talk to us about uh, what you're up to today. Yeah, thanks, Larry. Yeah, and just um, a couple insights from the earlier guests. You know, Sarah speaking about HR and how we're we're needing this kind of more cross organizational effort into return to office or whatever you want to call it to get people back into space and to really have a positive cognitive experience within the work environment. And you also hear Mark and the foresight of looking at the investment of technology and being able to say hey, the refresh rate of technology is way faster than the refresh rate of the built environment. And I think both of those points are just, uh, for me personally, just uh, major takeaways. So uh, thank you guys so much for uh, sharing that information. Um, and I'm not sure, is this the right slide? This this looks fun. Uh, yeah, I guess we're gonna go with it. Um, so the, the theme of this uh, presentation today is what makes the commute worth it? And uh, believe it or not, I don't know. Um, and the truth is, I don't think a lot of us really know. We've all read the articles about employees conveying their frustrations about the commute. But at the same time, I've also like heard from uh, a friend of mine who happens to be a mom, and she can't wait to get in the car again. She can't wait to drive to the office because she gets a break from her screaming kids and her spouse that's like driving her up the wall. And I guess this kind of highlights, you know, the different experiences that we have as humans. And we're very complex and we're trying to make sense of this world. And I guess we can relate to these types of sentiments, both good and bad, as we relate to the pandemic, right? Some of us had a very positive experience where it was a pause and it gave us uh, a new experience with our family. Or some of us had a lot of loss or, uh, you know, really struggled not being able to work. Um, and for me personally, like I, I did deal with some loss, but one of the highlights during the pandemic was this film. And I was kind of teasing, but it's very intentional for it to be up here. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, uh, my octopus teacher is streaming on Netflix and it won the 2021 Oscar for best documentary. Um, I'm curious if any of you have seen it. If you have, please let us know in the chat, just kind of looking for some engagement. Um, either way, I'll give a quick rundown of what it is or what the what the film's about. Uh, so the story is about an octopus living in South African uh, kelp forest. And this octopus, she's befriended by a filmmaker named Craig Foster. And what stood out to me about Craig's experience of learning from this octopus is that he was always curious. So he'd go into the ocean every day and do free diving. So he's holding his breath and of course, like as, he, as he's taken this dive, what stood out to me was that he always embraced this like beginner's mindset. Like he was driven by this curiosity. He didn't know the answer when he was going into the ocean. And especially like when he's looking at this kind of alien-like mollusk, you know, there, there's something just so foreign from that. And I really believe that this type of mindset, this beginner's mindset, is a key to us uh, to start understanding what really makes the commute worth it. Um, and it, it, it's just, it was just so cool to see that, like, the repetition of him, it wasn't just like one day that he started with a beginner's mindset. It was over and over again. He would continue to come to the ocean. And he, even though he became more and more familiar with his surroundings or his environment, uh, he still had that that genuine curiosity. Now you might be asking, like, okay, so how do we how do we embrace this beginner's mindset? And I think it's kind of how I started this, and it's admitting 
we don't know what the future office looks like. Uh, and I know it's bananas for me to be up here saying that. Um, and I interface with clients all over the world from major clients to smaller clients. And all of them are, are kind of in the same spot right now. Um, and I understand that like we won't be able to say this out loud to a boardroom where we're uh, reporting to, you know, how we're handling capital real estate costs. Like, oh, we don't know. Well, of course, yeah, we're not going to be able to say that. Right. But I do think the awareness around that of what we might not know gives us an advantage. Um, and so, OK, great. We, we don't know. Right. So let's say let's say we embrace this beginner's mindset and we start out our process of discovery. And the octopus is a very vulnerable uh, animal in the ocean, surviving in a constantly changing environment, right? And its survival is based on adaptation. And I'm not sure if you're starting to see this like analogy come together yet, but in the movie, Craig, the filmmaker, uh, tells us about this octopus's tentacles being extended little mini brains, right? And all of them collect information at the same time and then dis distribute it back to her cent central brain. And you can see this power of this and the octopus's ability to adapt with camouflage on demand as the technical sensors capture data of its surrounding. It's, it's really like pure magic. And if anything, if you don't watch this film, I really highly encourage you to just check out some YouTube videos of watching an octopus camouflage. It's, it's really wild. Um, and so what if, what if an octopus started asking uh, other octopi you know, from across the ocean, on average, what are the colors or what are the topography of the ocean floor over there? And we're looking at averages and that octopus tries to apply those averages to his camouflage. Uh, it could be in trouble. Um, but I, I think that, that this is really what's the amazing part of today. And it comes back to some of what Mark was talking about, also Sarah, and, and I believe some of our, our uh, future panelists will also speak about this too, is that the accessibility of technology today gives us access to real-time data that is unique to us. And I think that the accessibility part and the uniqueness are two very huge keys for us in being able to adapt to this ever-changing uh, work environment. Um, and, and this really allows for us to provide a better workplace experience for our employees. Um, and with that being said, there are so many great people on this panel and in, the, in this audience that are willing to help you out. And as Mark said, like, uh, don't go it alone. We're all here in this together. Um, and, and to end this, uh, I just want to ask again, what makes the commute worth it? And my suggestion is let's find out. Hey, Brad, uh, great, great point there. And uh, I love the octopus. I have not seen the movie. Uh, I will now because you did a phenomenal job of tying it to our everyday decisions. And you talk about, you know, obviously unpredictable attendance is the norm today, right? You just don't know who's coming to work when. Getting the buy-in, you mentioned that, that's difficult. And then you talk about data, right? Data-informed decisions. There's a recurring theme here. Everyone's investing in technology and data-informed decisions in real time. So what kind of data are you looking to, to gain in your organization? What do you need uh, in, in your data sets? to make informed decisions strategically? Yeah, I think that data is one part of it. And well, let me take a step back. The The data is is a, a common thread. And again, we were talking about cross-org earlier with, uh, you know, Mark and Sarah. You know, if, if let's take, for example, 
there's a lot of events happening. So somebody has a barbecue. HR is spurring this effort around the barbecue. But with that, facilities is also involved and ops is also involved. But what if we what if we created measurements pre the event and post the event? And what are we trying to accomplish? And within that, using that data to be able to look and, and measure, you know, the effectiveness of, of our efforts around some of these these things that we're trying to do to get people back into the office. So I think data can be that common thread, Mark, or Larry, excuse me. Yeah, no, good point, good point. So great, Brad, hey, thanks a lot for that. So we're coming up on a little quick uh, uh, commercial here again. So let's hear from our, our one of our sponsors, FM Systems. Access, manage, and measure your entire facilities portfolio. FM Systems all-in-one workplace management platform enable facilities, corporate real estate, security, IT, and HR professionals to maximize the use of their facilities, manage real estate costs in a smart way, and ensure employees and visitors have healthy, safe, and inspiring workplace experiences. Plan against an ever-shifting, unknown world of work with FM Systems. Welcome, Jennifer. How are you, Jennifer? Hello, Larry. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today. Good to see you. You have a, a, a ton of experience in the workplace and the software side. So a little bit of a different spin from the technology we heard from Mark uh, and Brad. So tell us what we're going to talk about today, Jennifer. All right. So thank you again for having me. Again, my name is Jennifer with FM Systems. And one of the key elements that we are really focused on as we all navigate the hybrid workplace is how do you measure success? What does it mean in a post-pandemic world for your facilities to be performing, for your portfolio to be having an impact on your organization? So we think you have to look beyond utilization. Just waiting for my slide. There we go. So today, many organizations are trying to find that perfect balance of a great design, inspiring workplaces, amenities. What is it going to take to incentivize people to come back in? And we want to ask the question of how do you know if it's working? How do you know what a successful strategy is in this post-pandemic world? So we think the answer lies not in a single workplace metric, but in a variety of metrics and not in the analysis of one or two, but in the cross analysis of a variety. One of the big advantages of investing in different workplace technologies is not only are they automating workflows, streamlining experiences, but behind the scenes, they're generating this wealth of workplace data that you can then aggregate and analyze and get a much richer view of what's actually happening inside your space. So I have a couple of examples here of data sources. Um, so we're going to start with badge data. It's very common. It's very accessible. It does give you a pretty black and white view of your attendance. But if you only look at your badge data, you could be missing a much bigger picture. So for example, we had a client just recently who on a particular day had a very high rate of badges in, a very high attendance rate for that day. That client also has sensor data. So they then went to look at the occupancy view in their floor plan and saw that almost all the seats were empty. So they had this sort of contradictory situation of we know there's a lot of people here, but where are they? They were in the conference rooms, they were in the break room, they were walking around in the courtyard outside because they had come in 
to be with each other, to collaborate and engage, not to sit at their individual workstations. So if they had only looked at their badge data, they would have said, hey, we're doing great. Attendance is really high. But then when they actually look at the utilization of the space, they can see they're not really hitting the mark. Bookings data is another data source that can really help give insight into how your employees are engaging with the space, what resources are most popular. Uh, this can be either conference room bookings or desk bookings. It starts to let you understand a bit of the departmental engagement, departmental distribution. And then if you start layering sensor data on top of both of those, now you have a view of actual utilization versus planned utilization. And you start to get that much richer insight into what's happening. And then you can start tracking towards more advanced KPIs. So some of those KPIs that we think are really emerging in a post-pandemic world are attendance versus engagement. That example of the badge data is a perfect example of this. It isn't just about getting them in the door. It's about ensuring that they're having a great experience while they're there and accomplishing something unique compared to what they could have done at home or in a coffee shop or some other location. Next is energy efficiency and facility health. The pandemic really brought to the forefront the importance of indoor air quality, something that we were all aware of, but then when you were thinking about it in the context of the transmission of a virus, it became much more important. That concept, I think, is going to continue to gain momentum because as you look at indoor air quality, you can start looking at efficiency. You can start looking at your overall facility health, which contributes to employee wellness and the employee experience as well. So there's a real synergy, I think, between efficiency and sustainability and hybrid work that I'm excited to see how that continues to grow. Next is the organizational mission. One of the things we talk a lot about at FM Systems is how do we refocus space? So pre-pandemic, the workplace was really a given. Everybody had one, employees were expected to be there, but today employees have a choice. And so the workplace has to have a different purpose. It has to have a unique contribution to the mission of the organization. Finally, you want to look at your running costs versus everything. How much your building costs is one piece of the pie, but you have to look at it in terms of how efficient is it? What is the lease structure? What is, uh, what's the location in terms of where our employees are, the desirability of that location? You have to look at it from a variety of viewpoints and perspectives to really assess the performance of your facilities and the impact that your portfolio can have on the mission and the goals of your organization. So to summarize here, this new normal of, measure, of measuring success, optimizing the hybrid workplace, measuring utilization is not enough. You have to do what we call multi-data point analysis, where you're aggregating data from a number of different workplace sources to then really understand what your facilities can contribute, how you can improve the employee experience, and ensure that ideal experience for everyone. My last point here, I think it's important for everyone to always know that this will always be an iterative process. It's been said a couple of times today, there's no one-size-fits-all approach to the hybrid workplace, and that's true. But by the same token, there's no one-size-fits-all approach for a given organization over time. 
because your work workforce is going to continue to evolve. The mission of your organization evolves. The technology you have available evolves. And so you have to continually measure and learn and adapt so that you're always in front of what your organization and your workforce needs. And Larry, with that, I'll send it back to you. Yeah. Jennifer, great, great, great presentation. And thanks, you know, um, again, there's a little bit of a recurring theme here, Jennifer. Uh, earlier in your presentation, you talked about wellness and you also talked about sustainability, operational efficiency, right? Um, again, competing mandates, right? So going back to Sarah's focus around people in the workplace, and then we talk technology, and is it all about the data and the data-driven decisions? And sometimes are we force-feeding it all in there? Um, and then we've got the competing mandates again. So who's right, who's wrong, right? And I don't know if uh, we can we can probably cover that in this entire uh, webinar, but you mentioned wellness and sustainability is an important part of the hybrid work. Um, why is hybrid bringing so much sustainability to the forefront from your perspective? I think the first thing, again, is that concept of indoor air quality, that it really forced that conversation of what is the wellness factor of our building and how is that contributing? But I think the other really interesting side of it, and it speaks to kind of the theme of this webinar, is the commute. So early on in the pandemic, maybe six months in, I heard a news report about some state and local municipalities, I want to say in the Northwest, that were looking into tax breaks and tax credits for local organizations that intended to continue hybrid work because they were seeing such a reduction in pollution and carbon emissions that they immediately latched onto it as, hey, this is a solution to a totally different problem. So I think there's this really interesting kind of intermingling of current challenges that are all have an opportunity to improve under this hybrid work model. Yeah, now uh, all great points. I'm sure we're gonna come back to that in the general session here when we wrap up at the end, but uh, those are great points, Jennifer. Thanks for that, great presentation, appreciate it. Good to see you again. Thank you. Likewise. We're going to take uh, take another break and hear from one of our sponsors, uh, TouchSource. From commercial offices and healthcare facilities to retail spaces, our innovative turnkey digital display products will transform your space into an engaging, interactive experience. Enjoy future-forward solutions for your industry, including surface and recessed wall-mounted directories, outdoor and indoor freestanding interactive digital kiosks, elevator displays with entertaining content, multi-screen video walls, digital signage, and custom designs for wayfinding, directories, and kiosks. TouchSource, offering simple solutions for smart spaces. Welcome, AJ. How are you? I'm great, Larry. Thanks. Good, good to see you. Uh, obviously, smart digital display, the information we put right in front of people, right at their fingertips. Uh, tell us what you guys are working on today, AJ. All right. Thanks a lot. And I have really enjoyed hearing, you know, from Sarah to Mark to Brad to Jennifer talking through how the workplace experience has changed. And TouchSource, we're coming in with a little bit of a different perspective because of where our origins are. We have largely prior to the last three or four years been servicing multi-tenant university hospitals uh, lots of public areas so we are solving problems for more visitors coming into spaces for the first time and that's where a lot of our history in terms of our deployments and our expertise came in 
But then as the pandemic has come in and other elements of the changing nature of the occupier and the enterprise, we are now bringing a visitor experience into an enterprise experience. And that seems a little bit strange, but let's, let's get into that a little bit more. Um, the reason we started to take this perspective is, as everyone said, there's a question of why come to the office. And Sarah did a great job of highlighting you know, from purpose to inclusivity to hospitality to you know being resilient and all those those pieces, and and Mark showed how Cisco incorporated that. Well, uh, if you look at this at the aggregate layer level, uh, WFH Research just published something last week, which was their view of surveying all these employers and all these employees and looking for the delta between employer plans and workers' desires. And what was a huge gap of one and a half to two and a half days, you know, during the, the heart of the pandemic has shrunk to just under, you know, four hours of gap in the um, experience. And so the question all of us are asking is what, what closes that four hour gap for employees to come into the office and when they do cross that threshold, what are the new problems that, that we need to be hitting head on? So again, TouchSource taking us a, a perspective of, we're really good at supporting visitors, supporting shoppers, supporting people who are coming to a space for the first time, but what do employees have to do with that? And so we thought about four different things that are now a lot of clients are spending time on. So first, Leading up to the pandemic and through it, we were captive and continue to be captive to our mobile device. It's, you know, as, as Mark highlighted the, the halls of despair that people would walk in, that would, um, people would be heads down looking at that. So the first thing is, is bringing eyeballs up and bringing a visual orientation so people use the space for information, not their device. The second is, up to 30 to 40% of people entering an office are new for the first time and they don't know the people there. So things like search by photo and learning people and, and making visual connections is actually wildly popular with a large amount of our client base. Then if you assume that anywhere from 20 to 40% of people are coming to your office for the first time, they don't know where the amenities are. They don't know how to use these conference rooms. They don't know if they're going to do a breakout room, how to get there, what to use. And then the other thing is when you only use usage data, you don't capture intention. So one thing we're learning from interactive touch displays is people search for things, but then may not carry out what they searched for. So their intention and their action have a difference. And learning and using that data to do that can help remove the disorientation and remove some of those initial obstacles to using space differently. I visited one of the largest uh, real estate operators, new space here in Denver, and they have this beautiful workspace, all different sort of drop-in environments. And I asked the people, how often do you use this space or that space? And everyone said they just use the same space over and over again. And so there is a, a sort of a, a mental obstacle that providing disorientation support helps move that forward. And then the last thing is, as Mark was saying, you're constantly advertising a space to the to the people, the occupiers within there. So celebrating success, celebrating inclusivity, bringing in sustainability information and making it visible helps close some of those those pieces. 
So what we've been learning over this the last couple of years and in the rapid re-entry is that you know it is absolutely worth it to for our workers, our employees, our collaborators to to devote their eyeballs to their space, to to interact heads up, to remove that orientation, and to bring lots of different visual elements, helpful elements, and tools so that the theories we're bringing forward in purpose-built spaces turn into realities and, and overcoming a lot of those little micro obstacles along the way. So it's, it's a really exciting transformation. As Brad said, I, I don't think anyone knows exactly what this is gonna look like, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we're learning that as the theory meets the reality, we've gotta combine a degree of visual information visual air and, and purpose-built content to support these purpose-built spaces. So connecting all those pieces together turns them into really, really fun spaces. So with that, I'll hand it back to you, Larry. Hey, AJ, that was great. Um, you know, one of the questions uh, you talk about really the employee, uh, employee experience, the tenant experience, you know, Getting them to the building is one thing, right? You first you get them there, but then how do you keep them engaged? And that's really what we're hearing from you. Um, and you know, uh, we have a saying here in our company is building a company that people want to work at, not have to work at, right? So that's that all sounds great, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to come to the workplace. So what 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 do you think uh, folks are expecting of the amenities in the workplace? And do you see any emerging trends that are popping up that you guys say, wow, these are pretty common new things we're seeing. What, what are you seeing out there? You know, it's, it's pretty funny because we can go back prior to the pandemic because our directories and stuff show amenities that are searchable. So we can see what was built before versus what's built after. And, and prior to the pandemic, you did start to see a lot of drop-in spaces, a lot of coffee shops, a lot of, you know, come in and, and even there was like little movie theater or break room type areas. But as the working space has turned into a collaboration space, the amenities have moved away from being personal, like you have your own meditation space, mm -hmm. to now being collaborative. Find a place to have fun. Find a place to, I'll tell you, <laughs> I'm going to probably get some comments on this, but the number one amenity I seem to be seeing is beer taps um, <laughs> and creating more of that social lubricant for collaboration as well. But it's a real shift from needing closed space to now needing collaborative space in the amenity world. Absolutely, uh, we can attest to that. There is a scientific study that shows that people do come to work if there's a beer tap or a wine tap in the kitchen. And uh, if you do lunch on Tuesdays, it's amazing how crowded the workplace gets, AJ. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I have stats that will show that. So a uh, great point and that's real. And uh, people do come, to, it just shows that people do come to work for the socialization aspect, not because their boss said, you got to come to work and, and put your butt in the seat, right? So, yeah, great points, great product, and uh, thanks for sharing that. So let's take another break and uh, hear from one of the sponsors, Kimberly Clark. Realize the rewards of being together again. Welcoming clean, healthy spaces. Friendly eyes, new and familiar faces. You help make it possible to bring people together again. But with elevated hygiene standards, you need new tools to help you succeed. Great hygiene starts in the restroom, and Onvation makes it easy. Kimberly Clark Professional, featuring trusted brands Scott and Purell, 
now brings you Onvation, your connected software solution that brings intelligence into the restroom. With Onvation, you gain real-time visibility on product consumption and traffic patterns, helping to improve facility hygiene. Onvation enables smart, proactive restroom servicing so you can help assure the wellness of others as they return to work. Your job helps us rediscover the rewards of being together. Onvation helps you make it possible. Let's welcome Heidi. Heidi Solomon, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes, I, I, I have you. Um, great to be here and I appreciate the, the, the time this morning. While we're, while we're the last um, element to discuss today in coming back to the workplace, we're probably one of the most important. Um, it, a very critical element for workspace experience is really to bring reassurance over cleanliness and hygiene. Um, and it is a very, very important um, piece for facilities managers as well as, uh, as well as employees. So increased hygiene expectations, increased anxiety over cleanliness. Um, all of us are experiencing um, different um, labor shortages, lower technology costs, and then this unpredictability of when traffic is gonna be there and how you can clean your um, washroom. This is that moment. Um, and so before we get started, I, there was two things I'd like to do. The first one is to apologize that I'm not on screen. I tried to overcome a very high um, firewall today and, and failed in my attempt, um, but know that I am here and with you guys and very engaged in this topic. The second one is, is I would like to cue a poll, if you wouldn't mind cueing the poll. And I would like to gauge, have you guys uh, get, put a gauge on, on, your on people's perceptions of the washroom cleanliness as a reflection of hygiene uh, standards across the rest of the workplace and compare that to the results. Uh, I'll, we'll compare that to, to, to our results in, in the survey in May, 2021. So if you wouldn't mind um, selecting one of these pieces and then I will share some very interesting stats um, from that poll of employees and, and how they um, view hygiene in the in the post-pandemic world. So I'll just give it a couple minutes. Great. Oh, perfect. Here are the results. Definitely yes, sometimes yes, mostly no. Okay, let's, uh, I will move forward and we'll talk through some of the, some of the results. Thank you for sharing those. So as a matter of fact, 75% of employees um, and, and consumers think that the condition of the washroom is, is a reflection of the hygiene standards of the rest of the establishment. Um, I don't know if any of you um, work in, uh, have ever been on boards or consultants in, in, in around churches or religious um, locations, but um, a pastor will tell you that um, people, that his, that his uh, congregation comes in and looks at the bathroom as a big indication. And I think that's true of um, employees. It's especially heightened because 75% of the people feel unsafe kind of returning to the workforce and have a heightened sense of, of required for hygiene. 89% of them felt that the washroom is one of the most important areas for improved hygiene. 
80% um, of consumers felt um, more aware of hygiene practices um, when away from home. And actually, we're looking for people to be physically cleaning in the, in the environments um, as, a, as a key identification that, that the company is actually very, very focused on, on hygiene. 70% want provisions of hygiene, um, of hygienic hand washing and toilet facilities. So uh, as we enter back into the workforce, know that your employees and consumers and generally when they're away from home are looking for a much neater and more kempt uh, washroom environment. Um, there are several challenges today, and we've all experienced them, um, right? As you've gone into to different washrooms, the idea of having of being out of either hand towel or toilet paper is is a very unpleasant one, to say the least. Um, but there's also some real things for the facilities managers when and how to manage their workforce. Um, we know that foot traffic is very different, so lots of changes in scheduling um, and and, and you don't want to be able to, you, you want to be able to more adequately predict when your product is going to be um, coming out so that you can really replace those products real time. So how, how should we think, think about that? Well, the smart washroom is a very, very, very important um, element as we think about going back and can really help make your employees' experiences be much more um, pleasant. Um, so the good news is that the smart restroom system today provides real-time visibility into what's actually happening. It allows traffic um, patterns and understanding when you've got high, high flow through your restroom. Um, and what our system is showing that 75%, um, we can, you can save up to 75% of complaints um, and work orders with, with Onvation. You can do proactive maintenance and you can have all kinds of smart analytics. Um, we've, we've taken a look at consumption patterns. We've taken a look at how much time um, your staff can save actually in the maintenance and, and checking. Um, we also can actually save on consumable products. So up to 80% reductions in consumable waste have been logged by some of our, with, with some of our clients. So we're seeing some really great um, use of the technology and the data to really help um, manage some of those disruptions that, that I highlighted earlier. So as you think about it, you're thinking, oh my goodness, how, do, how does this work? How do we engage? What does this look like? It's actually four easy steps. It's the, the systems that, right, that are now available. Really, we just place sensors into our, smart, um, into our dispensers. So you've got things in, our, in your um, towel and your soap and your um, bath tissue dispensers. We also have traffic counters. Um, and there's even sensors that can be in your toilet to, to manage, um, to, to look to see if your, your water's flowing correctly and if there's any clogs or any disruption in the flow of your toilets. All of this data goes up to a secure gateway um, via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth um, and then goes into the, your business management services systems and then helps you manage the flow of your work orders. Um, it goes into the cloud um, through, through APIs and then comes back down into a dashboard or an app um, that, your, that your cleaners can, and your facilities managers can use to get real-time notifications to allow you to, to manage your facilities in a much more hygienic and more efficient manner. So um, it is actually quite easy, four easy steps. Uh, and um, we're starting to get some real scale. I would say with the reopening of things, we're seeing a lot of activity through in high traffic in office buildings um, areas uh, and a real desire to help ease 
your employees and consumer minds when they're away from home and they're washroom needs. Um, so with that, I'll turn it over to back to, to Larry. Hey, thanks, Heidi. Heidi, you know, um, uh, thanks. That was great. And, you know, Heidi, let's be real. Kimberly-Clark, you guys recognize name uh, through COVID. Uh, I can only imagine where your heads were spinning about, well, what can we do? How can we impact the market? Um, how are you guys managing the changing needs of the product development? I mean, you talked about uh, the smart sensors in the bathroom. Let's be real. Ten years ago, that was probably a blip on the radar. But what are you guys doing to manage product development changes? That's right. So um, it is, it's been a really, really fun space. Uh, this is an, this product is our Onvation product. We, first of all, we have a strategic partnership with Gojo. Um, they've been instrumental in, in making sure that we are providing the best and smartest technology that we can in the washroom. Um, and as things change um, and as the technology has changed in this space and in the IoT world, we, we actually run this product um, on an agile methodology and we reprioritize on a quarterly basis the development needs that, that are arising. So it's been, we, we, we manage is very difficult, different than we manage our manufacturing of, uh, of our consumables, I would say. So it's been, um, it's been the development team is, is amazing. We've had to hire new and different talent, um, upskill our organization and, and react and uh, very quickly, I would say, to the market needs. That, that's great, Heidi. And I'm gonna, just a quick follow-up question. I talked about this earlier. It's not the you know data, but what you do with the data. And obviously, your diagram there, your last slide, talked about the the influx and even I can imagine the supply chain management component that comes with some of your data sources. Um, what other insights have you guys gotten out of the uh, smart systems data you're collecting um, outside of supply chain? Any other insights you can offer? Absolutely. So we leverage uh, the data and the and the applications very closely with our customers. Um, and we've actually aggregated some across all of our customers. And what we found is restroom traffic no longer follows the same patterns every day, which is no surprise to this to this or this audience. Um, it suggests that people arrive earlier with less traffic on Mondays and Fridays. Also, probably not a big surprise. Um, we're seeing restroom visitors using up to two times um, more soap than they did pre-pandemic and up to 24% uh, more hand towels than they did um, pre-COVID. So um, we're, we're able to leverage this data in a lot of different ways. And I would say our customers uh, are leveraging it in ways to, to help them save on their consumable um, spend as well as manage their labor. So um, on an individual account by account basis. That's great, Heidi, great. Heidi, thanks so much. Great presentation and great insights and I uh, appreciate it. Um, so let's, at this point, let's uh, welcome back the entire panel. Uh, we can get everybody's beautiful faces up there. There they are. Everybody's back with us. Look at that crew. Uh, thanks, everybody. Great, great conversation. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, maybe I'll, I know we, we can take questions from the audience uh, to, in the poll question, the questionnaires. They can chat them in there. And let me just let me just go back. You know, Mark, I threw a question at you of what would you have done different? Um, and I, AJ, as I started thinking about your technology and I really you can see the flow here. of All of your systems, your strategies all come together again. I'm going to go back to the beginning. I talked about technology, buildings and people. And you can see we have technology, buildings and people right here in front of us and everybody's working together. And you can see how the epicenter all comes together. There's a lot of data driven decisions that are coming together. But, you know, AJ, I want to go back 
back to your tool, um, much like Mark, um, I asked him, you know, was there anything you learned? Um, was there anything specific you've learned uh, now that you guys have implemented some of uh, your reentry to the workforce and entered uh, and put some of your technology in buildings? Any new insights uh, from you? Um, yeah, I think a couple of things have really popped up, and they I put them into the cat the cat the broad category of people are wildly different, and so. As, as we think about whether differences in terms of neurodiversity or just differences in terms of work style, the way people approach spaces for collaboration in their days is wildly different. So Mark, I think, did an awesome job of talking about brainstorming space versus decision-making space versus, but what, what we learned from touch data as people were looking for things is two groups of people for the same business task would make wildly different decisions on how they would use the space. And so I think one of the big takeaways we've shared with a lot of clients is don't make too many presumptions on how the space is used, create the opportunity for the space to be used and the guidance around it. And those that are trying to force fit end up replanning anyway. So keep it flexible, keep it dynamic and anticipate a lot of different uses for the space. Yeah. Really good point. Anyone else want to add to their experiences of what, what stood out? Anything jump out at you guys? I would just reiterate uh, that point. I mean, going back to my very first slide, we are in an age of experimentation. And I think piloting is something we're seeing across the board, um, whether that be through small scale furniture solutions to building out pilot spaces um, to test out different technologies and furniture configurations within those spaces. But I think the key, as we've heard from all the speakers today, is that we have to gather the data around how those spaces are used. And it's not just about badge data, it is about the experience, it is about the um, utilization of technology. So I think we really need to focus in on a variety of different metrics to inform how we move forward with building out space. Yeah, I, yeah. I, would, I think I would also comment, Larry. We're seven, we, we, we took 750 days to get into this situation. It'll take 750 days to get out. Right? And anybody who thinks we're returning back to normal, whatever, whatever the heck normal is, is not going to happen overnight. Yeah. It's absolutely not. And we talk yeah. about the pandemic as a catalyst for this notion of hybrid work. I would tell you right now, I, I try my best to put the pandemic in the rearview mirror. The great resignation is the thing that keeps me up every night, yeah. every single night. That's right. Because I know my workplace, when I think about the people that come to my workplace every day, it's early in career new hires. And they come for three things, knowledge of how to get their job done, the ability to build a network, and their ability to understand reputation capital, theirs and other people. They can't get that at home. And they need to be around other people that are experienced. How do I get those experienced people in here? About, yeah. uh, reducing, reducing time to competency. And yeah. that's what keeps up every night. Really, yeah, no, great point, great point, Mark. You know, and there's a question that came in from Catherine and she's put a comment in there and I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of expand some of her comments into a question, but it, it begs the thought of, so people are working at home, you have employees working at home, and a lot of companies made commitment, public commitments to carbon reduction in their operations, right? Big topic, right? I mean, not, not a shocker. Um, are they thinking beyond their property portfolios to include employees' home environments? Um, have you all dealt with that? And who, who, who wants to chime in here and talk about that? Um, any comments? Yeah, 
Nobody wants to touch it. I think, I mean, I, I think, honestly, I, I was kind of messaging back and forth with Catherine uh, through the organizers, and uh, I, I didn't have like the awareness or even that thought about it. So to me, like just this conversation to look at like the responsibility, the corporate responsibility uh, from a sustainability perspective at the home uh, is a great conversation to have in something that uh, for me, to be completely honest, like I, I wasn't aware of. So thank you. For One thing that. I would add is that everything changed 10 days ago with the Inflation Reduction Act and the way credits flow for consumer transportation and how employers can consume that. So I'd say there's a big to be determined as the interpretations flow out. What I've been reading is we're about you know, 30 days away from understanding end to end how a bunch of this, these credits will flow. And I think you know, knowing how great lawyers and tax accountants and everyone, people are going to figure out a way to capture those types of credits for corporate benefit as well, not altruistically, but financially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, any other I, comments? Honestly, from an experience perspective, I think employers are going to need to to think through their ex their employees' experiences um, at, at work, and at work is going to be in sort of space agnostic. Um, at Kimberly Clark, we're thinking about the consumption patterns of our products, you know, wherever they are away from home or at home and kind of what they're doing. So I, I think that, you know, consumer goods specifically or, or ma facilities management, uh, you know, locations, you're going to need to think about all the, the employees needs and the types of experiences they're, that they're going to want to have. Um, and I think it's going to continue to evolve. I, I, I think that, you know, by no means are we ever going to go back to the way it was pre-pandemic. The world has forever changed um, and it'll be, you know, we need to keep things like Sarah talked about at the very beginning around the, the human, um, the human, you know, human nature of, of how we're, how we're engaging with, with work, with our workspace, either where, where, wherever that is and how we're engaging with different consumer products. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And, and Sarah, uh, if I can put you on the spot a little bit, yeah, in the very beginning, uh, almost an hour ago now, uh, we talked about uh, HR and the interaction of workplace design having to engage HR more and more, especially especially in the public sector. I can share this. Uh, you know, there's a lot of conversations around unions and the workforce and representing what the needs are of the workforce and trying to get some consistency around that. And there is there is no one size fits all. I think we've heard that. I think five or six times, every one of you talked about there is no one size fits all. You know, Sarah, can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the HR interactions you've had? There, there's a people component to this, and I think if I can wave the magic wand and say, oh man, we could put an HR person or an exec HR person in the hot seat right now and talk about, you know, what are you doing? and What kind of data do you need to help drive workforce needs? So Sarah, you, you want to expand on some of the conversation we had earlier in the, in the panel? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I definitely am not a professional in this area, but I can attest uh, to say that our change management group and our consulting group have been as engaged throughout the entire pandemic as our design teams have. And a lot of that is working with companies to curate surveys that they can circulate internally to understand what employee expectations are. And I think it's important to note that 
as we've all talked about, right? It's an evolving conversation. What we surveyed and what we heard at the beginning of the pandemic has changed to a year from that to where we are now, and it will continue to change moving forward. So I think one of the biggest things that we are working with our consulting teams on is how do you keep that conversation going and how do those questions need to evolve as we continue to learn more from our data? Um, I do want to circle back to a point that Mark made in regards to the great resignation. I think it's extremely important to highlight because it is a fact of the matter. Our demographics of the workforce are changing uh, based on a a survey we did earlier this year, we found that 54% of the U.S. workforce will be under the age of 45 uh, in the next couple of years. So thinking about who our workforce is also influences those questions and the surveys that we need to be asking because there is, and I alluded to this a little bit in the um, intuitively inclusive slide, there's a different expectation from these newer generations about what the work, the workplace and the company should provide for their employees. And I think it's a lot of putting your money where your mouth is. You can't just make these big sustainability claims or inclusivity in claims and then not follow up with action. Um, so a lot of that, I think, ties into you know policies and things that the HR team will be continually having to monitor monitor. That's right. If, if I could pick up on if I could pick up on Sarah's thread there just a little bit, I think another really important component of real estate and facilities really engaging with HR and having a partnership with HR, it's not just about retaining the workforce you have. It's about understanding who are you trying to recruit a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. If your corporate real estate team is planning for the employees and the demographics that you have, while HR is going a totally different direction, you're gonna be at cross purposes. And so it is so important that those recruiting and retention strategies be central to those workplace strategies. And like I said earlier, historically, the workplace was a given. It wasn't something that people could, you know, him or haw about. It just was what it was. And today it's not like that. And so we have to integrate these different success strategies in a way that we've never had to before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say, I think this idea of what we're talking about, both Jennifer and Sarah saying, it's the redefinition of what the workforce is, too. It, let's think about it, get our heads around the fact that our workforce may not be a bunch of what we call blue badges, let's go full-time people on the payroll. We could have a lot of semi-retired people that we, we're building a job bank right now of Cisco people that are thinking about aging out into the next part of life. Hey, you're not going to be full-time, but you could be in the job bank and come back and, and work transactionally. If you don't have a, to, to, a, to be able to, to take advantage of the flexible labor pool, if you don't have a flexible workplace strategy, it breaks. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about space, space, technology, and policy together. Yeah. You gotta have all those in alignment, otherwise the, the whole thing's gonna break. That's the great opportunity here, right? Oh yeah. How you onboard, offboard, and, and use people transactionally if you need that, so. That's right. 
and let's be real, Mark, we've been saying for, for decades now, policy doesn't drive action and operationalize, uh, operationalize the world of uh, real estate facilities, especially. And, you know, leading to all this, we had a question from David Katz, um, who talked, who's asking a question, and Heidi, you might want to chime in here, is what is the actual expectation on the IAQ reset as workers return? Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, IAQ as the workers return. Is it a reset certificate or a well or fit well building intelligence quotient. I know we've spent some time doing a lot of censoring data in our buildings um, and setting it to the ASHRAE standards, but what about others? Um, are you all, in, in Heidi, maybe you can chime in from a Kimberly Clark perspective about indoor air quality and adopting to a certain standard. Um, anyone wanna chime in on this? Sure, I'm happy to. I'm happy to. We're we're evaluating kind of all of them, um, thinking about well and fit well as as well as um, lead. So right, there's a, a litany of them. Um, I don't think that there's one that's coming up as as um, right the 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 forerunner. But I do think a certification around cleanliness um, will continue to be a certain of importance to employees. Uh, and consumers as well. So I, I think there's just more to come here, but it is something that we are watching and working with the different organizations as, as well. Yeah, no, good point. And then you know, the second part of that uh, question that came in is, is there a cost of doing nothing? And are some owners just saying, you know what? Not my problem. It's the workplace, just come to work. It's overkill and it's too, let's be real, it's too costly. At a time when people are saying, I've got to unload real estate, our building owners and operators saying, I can't afford to invest in these technologies, so I'm going to do nothing. Is there a cost of doing nothing? I can chime in. I think, you know, as, as Mark was saying and Sarah highlighted, the opposite of this cost is the resignation, right? So you, you can do a pretty easy cost-benefit analysis on attrition rates, right? Tech right now, according to LinkedIn published last week, tech attrition rates were about 20% annual, so 40% over the last two years. You know, you know you're, you got to pay 20% of a year one or 10% of a year one for a recruiter. You have six months of ramp-up time. You have all this sort of cost-benefit, so it's easy to work out the equations. Now, the other piece that, that I think is interesting that we haven't talked about is we focused a lot on the white-collar work experience. Mm. Blue-collar work experience is a little different because they have half the attrition rate during the last two years, but the demand rate is nearly double, right? Manufacturing is coming back in the US. These are people who are have to check in their mobile phone when they get to an office, they have to check in their laptop. They don't have a laptop, they don't have other things. So the ability to reach these people with all of these goals is, is even more difficult. And, and so having data, having insights, not just on the white collar, but on the blue collar, to be able to engage them and, and hit that retention. It may not be as costly as, as the, the commenter thought about it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways to, to step into this and then go deeper and deeper and deeper as you need to. Yeah, I agree. And then I, I think the cost, of, I think that uh, as occupant, you know, if we do hit a recession and occupancy rates go down, I think that it'll be, those that don't do this, that don't get the certifications, that don't make the investments in their building, will uh, have a very difficult time um, leasing it. So um, I, I think you're, the cost of doing nothing is much greater than, than the investments that are gonna be required to make sure that you're maintaining a, a very efficient, healthy environment. Yeah. 
Now that's obvious. I think uh, if you if you take the theme of what we've been talking about here for the last uh, 90 minutes or so, just shy of 90 minutes, um, there's obviously a prioritization of trade-offs that we need to improve employee productivity, employee engagement, uh, and obviously that, and, and we've said it, and we can't ignore it: operational efficiency. Right? Uh, it can't be all for the employee and all for the needs of the end user only at a cost of the building owner and occupier. There's gotta be a balance, right? This is the world we live in in competing mandates. So uh, a lot of the conversation is not just about the physical office, but how do we create and establish the, uh, the elements of engaging employees to maximize that experience, but obviously making the mission and business outcomes work. Um, so it's, uh, I don't know if we answered it entirely, but we certainly created a good enough debate here for the last 90 minutes to talk about it. But um, any other final thoughts? Um, uh, there, oh, there is one more question that came in. Um, I can address it. Um, any other, uh, one area that's not been addressed is a cybersecurity risk increase with workers at home. Uh, unsecure home networks can bring additional risk to the company. Um, I don't know if uh, AJ, Mark, uh, or Brad, do you all want to touch, or any, or Jennifer, do you guys want to talk touch on the technology, the technology companies and uh, experts want to touch on that? Look, I, I, I'll, I'll give you just a personal opinion. It's obviously absolutely critical. We, the amount of malware and the amount of intrusions that we saw at the beginning of the pandemic, we had never seen before, right? And I think that, that's at, a, at an industry level. Um, more and more people working at home, there's an added level of due diligence that needs to be done to ensure you have not only reliable connectivity, but safe connectivity. Right, and to be able to be able to, to prioritize traffic and the ability to to really protect against threats is got to be part of every IT strategy, and why CISOs are so critical to have them in your companies these days. Yeah, yeah, and uh, for for those who don't know, and I know some of you do business with the public sector or federal government, there's new mandates out there in the cybersecurity standards and CMMC. 2.0 as they call it. If you're not familiar with it, you know, you can just Google it and you can read what's going on. Uh, but in order to do business with the government, whether your workforce is in the office or working at home, you have to have a very robust infrastructure and process to address those cybersecurity needs. They don't care where your employee works, um, but you as the organization, you have to focus on it. So I would encourage if anyone's looking for um, some good reading that's going to make you fall asleep at night, CMMC 2.0, uh, read what's going on. It's a DOD mandate. It's a big deal, especially if you're going to work with the federal government. Um, it's an edict that is it, it will make or break your business and it's not cheap. So uh, any other final comments on, on that? I think we have time for one more question that just popped in. Um, uh, will Will and the ESG index or government mandates, the G part, right? <laughs> Force these employers who are hesitant to begin making enhancements, um, uh, will put pressure on them. Uh, are there gonna be edicts that come out? Um, any thoughts on that? I think, I think the current policy environment is moving towards incentives rather than edicts that are coming in. Um, yep. Like I was mentioning earlier, some of the recent legislation coming in at the state levels, we're seeing it where I live in Colorado, we're seeing it in California, we're seeing it in New York. You know, I think the incentives are going to drive things. 
and then it connects to that previous question on what if a class building doesn't have class B building doesn't have the money to invest and things like that. Those incentives are intended to create that closed loop of investment, provide a return, get another investment. So I think we're going to start to see a lot of more of those circulating outside of the large skyscraper investments and into lower class A, class B, even industrial space to, for people to invest in theirs. Yeah, great. We're coming up on just a couple minutes left here. So um, any final thoughts from any one of the panelists? Um, Heidi, I didn't forget you, even though you're not on camera. Uh, any final thoughts from anyone? No, I, I I appreciate the the time and space to, to have this conversation. I think um, that as consumers continue to shift, um, this will we will only see more and more discussion about this. And um, and I I don't know. Our company has done several scenario planning on different how this can play out over the next ten years. And there's some pretty dramatic shifts that that can happen. So um, I I think it's an exciting space to be in. Yeah. Good job, Lawrence. Lawrence thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Lawrence. Great, great conversation, and I think you you explored it from A to Z. Uh, the the, uh, the some of the aspects of each of these is really. I think it really is going to make a big difference for those employers who say, "I really can't afford it." The cost of doing nothing is going to become more and more apparent, especially for larger employers. I do have some clients who are saying, "Look." Uh, you, 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 we've we've transitioned back to an to a work from the office, and the name we call employees that don't want to do that is former employees, and they and it really is that kind of a situation. So, will they get punished for that? Maybe I, I'm not sure. We'll see how it goes with the uh, with as the as as this progresses. So, uh, and and in the event we have any other. Uh, changes in our environment that cause this uh, more more work from home, uh, the finding the right balance is the right way. So you guys did a great job addressing all of that. So uh, again, thanks, Lawrence, for the, for moderating. Thank you to all of our panelists. Uh, it's, it, it's a great time investment. We always enjoy hearing from you. Good contributions, uh, excellent discussion. Thank you to the live audience, too, for all of your questions and feedback. You're, all of you are very active. And whether you joined us live or just watching this as a recording, thank you for tuning in. And be sure to register for our cybersecurity and privacy series starting with IT Cyber two weeks from today. Uh, that's on September the 8th. And OT, Operational Technology Cyber, on September the 15th. Also, registration is now open for Cortex 22. It's uh, scheduled for November 15th and 16th in Silicon Valley. So uh, great discussions like this with building owners, building operators, and things that are going on in that space. So um, that's it for us today. Uh, we wish you well. Uh, big thanks again to everyone who participated. Be safe, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you, everybody. Thank you all.